Hi Church, welcome to the SCM podcast. We're a church playing our part in the evangelization of the nation, the revitalization of the church, and the transformation of society here in Norwich and Norfolk. Be sure to connect with us online at scn.org.uk or on social media at SCN Church. Enjoy. Um, well, good evening, everybody. My name's Dave. I'm on the uh, clergy team in the orbit of the Mitre, and um, it's great to be here. I'm not always at the seven o'clock because it's past my bedtime most of the time. I go to the four o'clock with my family, um, but it's great to be here and it's great to see um, so many new faces and so many faces that I recognize as well. And um, yeah, it's great. I haven't preached for months. So I'm also, I have no idea how this will go. (laughs) So let's do this and um, let's pray. Yeah, Father, thank you. For your word. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Thank you for the incredible news from this afternoon. Wow, 200 kids just coming into the church to see what's going on. Lord, thank you that you're at work in so many surprising ways and so many surprising places. And Lord, would you speak to each of us tonight Would you take what I have and, Lord, I just offer it to you. You might make sense of it for the sake of your people and your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So we're beginning a series called Rebuilding Blocks. And um, this first one is talking about um, being devoted to the word, being devoted to God's word in the Bible. And, um, and so that's what I'm going to be thinking about. But I want to first, I've just come back from, so I'm quite spun out because I've just been, so I was doing a, I, I, I'm a, like an average um, salsa playing trumpeter. So I play in a salsa band and have just been doing a gig in a, in a pub and just came here. So I'm partially deaf as well. But um, and I just came back from holiday the day before, and I went to um, Morocco, which you realize is a country that I think was meant to be banned to the UK, but the flights that we had took us to Spain. We clicked on those flights that are 18-hour flights that no one else clicks on, and they're really cheap. So it took us to Spain um, for a night and then to Morocco, and that's how I was allowed into the country. So I'm just declaring that I didn't do anything illegal. I just happened to book a flight ages ago that went in a really long route and got me there. So I was in Madrid um, yesterday. And um, the reason I'm telling you that is because I don't speak any Spanish. I'm also in a salsa band. I have no idea what anyone's singing about. It's never bothered me, never noticed, really. I just play what, when someone points, I play. And, um, but I was in Madrid, and we were just spending one night there because we were going to get a flight in the morning, really early. And um, this taxi driver um, drove us at midnight. He was driving us to a hotel that we'd booked, just beautiful hotel in the suburbs. Um, it was just really cheap, and we were heading out there. And he put it into Google Maps, and he stopped the car, and he kind of said, get out in Spanish, I think. And anyway, he opened the doors, so we got out. And there was just nothing there. There was definitely not a hotel. There was this big, dark, derelict-looking uh, block of flats, loads of graffiti, and nothing. 
And I have two kids, Zach and Georgia, 10 and 13. And my wife, Anna, was like, don't get out of the car, Dave. I was like, no, 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 we'll get out of the car, don't worry. And I said to my daughter, Georgia, how much Spanish do you know? Because she learned it for two years. She was like, I know the word chicken. And I was like, well, I know the word beer, and I know the word thank you, and I know the word please. So between us, we had thank you, please, beer, chicken. And none of those words were going to help us say to the taxi driver, this is definitely not a hotel. Please don't leave us here, because we have no idea where we're going. So we got left, and um, he drove off. Lots of um, Spanish. We still had no idea what was happening, and we paid him as well, because that's what you do when you don't know what's going on. And then we found a late-night bar, and there was a man there who really liked um, following Chelsea. And he, anyway, he spoke great. <laughs> Chelsea, he spoke great, um, great English. And then we found the hotel. Long-winded story. I hope there's a point to it. Please, can there be, Lord? Yes, there is. It's a bit like when we follow Jesus. It's like we're being invited into this promised land, into this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. We're invited to follow his way, to follow his truth, follow his life. We're invited to be a part of that, to wholly join in. And with that comes some vocabulary, not just knowing words, but with that comes knowing the stories of this promised land, knowing um, how to speak about this promised land, knowing what, what Jesus spoke about himself about this promised land. And yet my experience has been of the Christian faith that I signed up and said, yeah, Jesus, I want to follow you. But it was a bit like once I got to Madrid, I got to Spain. It's like, actually, I only know the word chicken and beer. And it can be like that in our Christian life. I know the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and Adam and Eve. But I want to follow you, Jesus. And I guess what I'm saying to us tonight is it's, there's a whole vocabulary that will enrich your life and enrich this church and equip it to move into a new season and a crazy season that we are living in right now, where we have these rich and amazing stories that we can step into, inhabit, and learn and know. And yet somehow it's so hard. The picture in, in the Bible we get of discipleship, of following Jesus, is one of growth. St. Paul says in Philippians 1, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God full of love, full of depth, full of insight, full of knowledge, and it growing. Not just so we can have like, oh, I know what chapter 4 verse 7 says, but so we can love. Our hearts will get bigger when we get a hold of this vocabulary. And 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything we need through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises. This book is full of great and precious promises. So that through them, you may participate 
in the divine nature. We get to join in with God, with his divine nature. We get to explore his promises, precious promises. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective, unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer is... Lord, I mean, I, I just don't want to be ineffective or unproductive in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. I want to bear fruit. I want to see stuff happen. I want to participate in the divine nature. I don't need to be perfect. I don't need to be sorted. I don't need to be the best at anything. But I do want to be fruitful. And in this book, we learn the journey of discipleship. God wants us all to be fruitful. And he's given us the key. It's awesome. So when I was in Morocco, you'll get some holiday stories. I was in, um, we made it to Morocco, and we were in this little sort of villa-y thing, hotel-y thing. Not sure, it was a mixture of the two, really. And I was in a swimming pool. Um, my wife was chatting to a, a very nice, um, quite wealthy French atheist and, um, for quite a long time. And she came over and said, Dave, you need to chat to him. So I got into the pool, and um, this guy, lovely guy, and, he, and I came up to him, and he's like, so what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm a vicar. And um, we're in the shallow end, but instantly I can see myself in the deep end, if you know what I mean. And he's like, so what would you say to me about the situation of suffering in this world? And I'm like, gosh, I'm on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> you serious? Oh my gosh, he had read everything. He knew the Bible much better than I did. He had read every, he had so many questions. Out one hour, 20 minutes, I was in the shallow end of the swimming pool. I was like a prune by the end. It's like, how are you not shriveling up like I am? And he asked, and oh, he was so hungry. And I was so convicted as well, Lord, wow, you use us wherever we go, but I want to know more about your character so I can feed others, so I can share um, whatever I'm asked. Luke 12, verse 11, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and extremely clever French atheists, I put that bit in, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And I can say an amen to that. It went okay. It was good. So the combination of the Word and the Spirit working together is how God's going to, and how he uses us and keeps us fruitful and on our toes and, and sharing and being his people in this world to bring about that kingdom. So in the early church, we see in Acts chapter 2, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We get this little snapshot of the early church. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves. A small word, devoted, but a massive word. They didn't just kind of dabble 
with the apostles' teaching. They didn't sometimes, when they felt up for it, look at the Bible. They devoted. Think of something you're devoted to. What does that look like? I'm ashamed to say I put my dog down first before my children and my wife, but I'm not reading into that. I think she was just there at the end of the bed when I was kind of typing. But I walk my dog every day. I feed my dog every day. I, I'm aware of what she needs, and there's a devotion. If I kind of don't feed her for a couple of days, a bit bored of the dog today, she'll just die. It's really similar in our faith. <laughs> you know, if we don't read and feed ourselves, and no one's going to do it for us, we don't read and feed ourselves, we die. Inside, something's going to die. This is dynamic. This is, this is how God's working in us by his Holy Spirit. It's how you keep the fire alive. Okay, we're going to think a little bit about breath. And I can't, like, segue it, so we're just thinking about breath. My, um, my son, he's 10 still. And um, he was about seven or six when we, he first started having piano lessons, and this guy, lovely guy, came to our house, came to the vicarage, and um, he, we, unfortunately, we were the people that booked, uh, so as a young guy, booked um, piano lessons at like nine in the morning on Saturday morning. This guy would be, I'm not sure if he even went home. He just came, I don't know if he had just been out all night, but he used to come quite worse for wear on Saturday mornings. And I'd see him outside the garage just having like a final cigarette before going in to try and teach my son to play the piano. <laughs> and I remember um, Zach sitting next to him and I would like stand outside the door pretending to not be there, but just listening. You're like, is he learning anything? And um, he said, why do you smell so bad? Why is your... <laughs> and my wife and I, we were just like held our breath. He's like... I won't say his name, poor guy, but he was like, Zach just said, why does your breath smell so bad? In only the way that kids can. Um, but to be fair, it was a good point. We'd, we'd all seen it. Um, the reason I was showing that is because breathing on people is a bad thing today, definitely. It's always been a bad thing. It's definitely a bad thing today. But in Scripture, we get this picture of breathing on people. It's actually quite a good thing. Um, especially when Jesus does it or when God does it. And so in John 20, you have 21, verse 21. It says, Jesus said to, to his downtrodden disciples, uh, to his broken disciples, he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so also I'm sending you. When he said this, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say he breathed on them and the disciples noted there was a waft of tuna and garlic. He says he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Why would Jesus do that? Maybe it has something to do with his father. He got it from his father. Because in Genesis um, 2, it says, The Lord God formed mankind of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And mankind became a living being. God's breath at the beginning of Scripture, brings us life. Jesus' breath gives us the Holy Spirit, and we get life. And then we read in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God 
breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not so the servant of God can answer all the difficult questions and tell everybody else how wrong they are, but so the servant of God can be equipped for every good work. Big hearts, lots of love, big vocabulary, big stories, big God, more and more of his character, his nature, his perseverance, his love, his hope, all of those things, all of it comes through this God-breathed text. And yet, it's like um, those, um, I can never get away from the analogy of an OXO cube, you know, the little cubes that have like all the flavor of a cow in one cube. Imagine that, all the flavor, maybe a herd of cows, all the flavor of a cow in one cube. You'd want to eat it. You'd probably want to break it up and put it into some things because it's intense. We have all the flavor and character of God in this book, breathed. Why would you not read it? Why would you not break it into little chunks and put it in your soup and in your cereal and your tea and in your coffee and your, on your biscuits? Even smuggle it in with your happy meal. You know, the whole time be, be adding more of it. And no one is going to do it for us. Bishop of Carthage, 250 AD, in the early church, they practiced, uh, it was called the um, discipline of the secret. They practiced reading scripture. Because they were persecuted, because they were under such oppression, they practiced reading scripture together. They didn't write a single thing about evangelism. They just wrote about patience and growing in Christian character. And the church grew across the world exponentially. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bishop of Carthage said, we don't just speak incredible things, we live them. We read these stories, we read these texts, we let them take root in our heart so we might even begin to live them. Wouldn't that be amazing? If you just read what St. Paul writes about love and you read it every single day, guess what might happen? You might begin to live it more and more and more. It's exciting when we think about what can happen. And we need it in order to discern. We need to read scripture to discern how to move forwards, to discern the promises of God. Isaiah 6 says, This is what the Lord says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. How incredible is that? Isn't that exactly what we need to hear today? Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. So, in this slightly random talk, I just want to like, almost do a kind of test drive of a little passage that I think is important to share with us. Um, may not be, but I, I, I sensed it was. It's in, it's in Numbers 32, and I'm just, it's, don't worry, it won't be really, really long. Um, but I, 
it's got a little point to it that I wanted to share. And in Numbers 32, you've basically got the people of God, the people of Israel, they've been in slavery in Egypt. They've been in slavery. It's the second generation. God's released them from Egypt. They've been wandering around in the desert. Moses is their leader. He's quite famous. And um, God promised them. So we're going back to the beginning. There is a kind of link. God promised them to go to the, that, that they would make it to the promised land. They'd make it to Madrid, but it wasn't Madrid. But they'll make it to the promised land. And they just have to trust him that they're going to get there. But something happens along the way. Everyone gets a bit distracted. Everyone gets a bit kind of less wholehearted. A little bit like, oh, that's a nice sand dune. Or, um, gosh, I think we should just hang out here instead. And God's like, no, we're on a journey. Stick with me. Trust me. And in Numbers 32, we read about the Reubenites and the Gadites. Um, The Reubenites and the Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazer and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the leaders of the community and said, Ataroth, oh no, names, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, um, Heshbon, Elielah, Sebam, Nebo, and Bion. The land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel are suitable for livestock, and your servants have livestock. If we found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as your possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. In other words, the Reubenites and the Gadites, they're wandering around. They've come to this land. It's been subdued. God's people now have it. And these Reubenites and Gadites, the only thing we know about them is they have a lot of livestock. They've got a lot of cows or goats or something. And they're like, oh my gosh, this land would be amazing for our cows. It's perfect cow land. It's really, really good. And so they go to Moses, despite the promises of God. They're like, Moses, do you mind if we just stay here? Because it's really good cow territory. And Moses says, basically, no, I don't think that's a good idea because there's a promise of God. And what are you doing kind of telling my people to just stay put rather than to keep moving. There's a plan and there's a purpose and God's in charge. Anyway, I paraphrase that. But what was interesting in that passage, if you can imagine it is like, I don't know, say you've been promised a holiday in the Caribbean. I'm just thinking of holidays. And you get to the airport and you spend one night in the holiday inn because your flight's early in the morning and you've got a lot of luggage um, because you're a really luggagey person. You have a lot of luggage, and you get to the Holiday Inn, and they give, show you the room, and you're like, oh my gosh, these cupboards are perfect for my luggage. Can we just stay here? Whatever the, like, I'm not sure what the Caribbean's going to be like or wherever it is we're going. It just works here for me, the Holiday Inn. There's a swimming pool, then you have the buffet breakfast, and you're just sorted. You're like, so you go to God, and you say, God, I'm actually really happy at the Holiday Inn next to the M11 at Stansted. I don't want to cross the Jordan and go the whole way. And that's what's going on in this passage. Why would that happen? Because they don't trust the promises of God. Because they start to get confused about what looks like um, the earthly best versus the heavenly blessed. 
God has a plan that you might not know, but we discover more of his promises and purposes in upside-down kingdom ways, the heavenly blessed. And without reading this, without gaining this vocabulary, without journeying in this promised land with him, we start to just focus on the earthly best. And we might miss the heavenly blessed. And the church right now needs to not miss the heavenly blessed just because it's got comfortable with its earthly best. And if they all stopped there, they would have never made it to the promised land, never been a blessing to all the nations, never seen the rest of this book be written. We would not have the story that we have today if everybody stayed in the Holiday Inn and didn't cross the Jordan. And we are called to play our part in that story in the same way. And no one is going to do it for you. And this book will open your eyes the more you explore it and see yourself in it. And it speaks. So, where does that leave us? Well, I just want to encourage us. It says um, at the end of that passage that um, Moses draws the example of Caleb and Joshua, two people who will see the promised land because they followed God wholeheartedly, it says. And that's what we're called to do as well, to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love him with our mind, we can read. We love him with our heart, we can practice it. We love him with our strength, we can lift others up. And we bring it all together and love him with our soul and he starts to transform us more and more and more. So let's pray together. Let's pray for the church right now, for us, together, that we wouldn't miss God's heavenly blessed purposes for this generation or get them confused with the earthly best. Father, Thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these rich, incredible stories that show the full flavor of your character and being. Would you provoke in us right now a curiosity and a hunger like the French atheist in the shallow end? Lord, would you put people in our lives that provoke us to to yearn to know more about you and your story and perhaps less about us and our story. I pray for anyone tonight who is looking for those ancient paths, who's lost, who's confused, who needs guidance. Spirit, would you plant a word in their heart? Would you lead them, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life? And we lift to you this whole church in this generation, in this time of craziness. Lord, would we seek to step into all the purposes and plans that you have for us together. 
to know that heavenly blessed. And would you help us to not be distracted by settling for the earthly best? Maybe tonight is just a night where you want to just begin again with God. To grab a Bible, maybe even nick one from a church if no one's looking. Grab a highlighter and just get scribbling. Lord, would you begin a a love affair with you of discovering more of who you are. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to connect with us online at stn.org.uk and on social media at STN Church. See you soon.